Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. Lots going on in space and on the ground related to space. I would call this episode, or I would describe this episode as a series of ups and downs. We have some really exciting news. We have some sad news. Then we have exciting news. It's It's a roller coaster today. It it really is. It's bittersweet. There's some bittersweet stuff here, and I'll I'll start with the sort of maybe the the saddest thing. It's it's you know, it's a process of mourning, and it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this point. Uh, but we all knew that it was coming in some form or another. We've talked before about Arecibo and the problems at the Arecibo Radio Observatory in Puerto Rico, which has been one of the. It was once the largest radio telescope on Earth. It is one of the most uh, important historical Earth observation points, especially for radio astronomy. So many well-known and not well-known astronomers, members of the astronomy community, have spent time in Puerto Rico and in Arecibo. It's super important for the sort of uh, the the psych- the psychology, the psyche, the the uh, the self image of puerto rico Mm -hmm. so just such an important site and when we last discussed it a cable had broken and damaged the dish and then a second cable broke later and it was decided that they were they were going to need to dismantle it they were actually talking about finding a way to do a controlled demolition on it because the other cables were going to snap um and the the sad news that we all learned this morning as we record this on december 1st is that the uh the, there was a runaway sort of snapping of cables and the whole thing including the 900 ton platform that held all the instruments uh collapsed right down into the dish obviously smashed to bits more or less one of the mass uh actually several of the mass that hold the support cables just snapped off at the top <laughs> Because mm-hmm. um, you can see the pictures from a flyover this morning, so it's it's bad. Like it's 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 gone. It's over. This is a sad day because they were trying to sort of like discuss what what they could control in ter- terms of tearing it down and what they could spare, and instead it sort of just ended in a complete collapse. And you get the sense that if ever somebody cu- puts together a plan to do something else in Arecibo, they're more or less going to have to start from scratch. So it's a real sad end to a story that was already sort of a a sad milestone that this important bit of technology just couldn't go on but the the it's been a slow cable failure that has led to this sudden final failure of uh and losing the entire instrument platform and the telescope is basically gone now right and that's what they were afraid of happening so everyone had been cleared out of the area no one was hurt during this but um, it's kind of the worst fears recognized, and they were still, in, like you said, in the planning of how to how to disassemble it safely because you have 900 tons suspended, uh, but suspended by a system of cables that are already failing. And I'm, I'm sure that that was going to take some time to work out how to how to pull that off. But um, yeah, it's it's a sad day, and. I sure hope that this site can be reused, but I don't think we're going to know anything about that for a long time. These things take a long, a time, long time to... They're going to have to clean it up and they're going to have to say... I mean, I think that it is a point of pride in Puerto Rico and that um, 
but there's a real question of like do does there need to be a a radio telescope they were using it because it was there but like will you build a new one there or were was it something that was sort of past its time and they weren't going to build a new one but they could keep using it for what it was and you know so basically it's a site with a lot of nostalgia and i think that that may work toward being you know using that site for something involving astronomy in the future but it's going to be one of those things where it's going to have to be discussed and it's going to have to be funded and planned mm-hmm. and built and it's going to be a long time if it ever happens but um so you know a real end of the era everybody go watch contact i guess and enjoy arecibo it's in it's in there and and seriously anybody who follows astronomers on on twitter especially like so many of them this they've got a great going to puerto rico going to arecibo kind of story um uh, that it definitely hit the astronomy community right in the heart today all right, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Rocket Lab. Okay. How does that sound? Great. Sound more cheery. Uh, so they have been uh, t- talking about building their Electron rocket to be reusable. And they've made some really big strides in that direction over the last couple of weeks. So they they have a, a, a smaller rocket. They're really launching CubeSats and small satellites. They're not It's not a heavy lift vehicle. Uh, They currently launch from New Zealand, but they're building a second launch site. Is it in Virginia? Forget. I don't know. But they're working to expand where they can launch from. Uh, But on a uh, a flight on November 19th, they had planned to recover the first stage, and they were able to do that successfully. So it made a controlled re-entry. And unlike SpaceX, where they fire the the stage to slow it down they're using uh parachutes to slow it down uh it splashed down in the ocean about 400 miles down range of its new zealand launch site right where they wanted it um went out there in a boat you know no no drone ship it's a boat with people uh it was found to be intact and they they hauled it in and now what they're doing is they are uh, taking the stage apart for full inspection testing qualifying parts um their plan is not necessarily to refly this exact first stage, but they're going to ha- recover more of these in the future, and they want to build a first stage out of reusable parts on the way to having a fully reusable stage. So they'll pull the good parts off this one, the good parts off next one, maybe build some new parts and have a uh, a stage that is more or less reused just from various donors if that makes sense yep makes sense look it's like it's like when you're in college and your roommate backs into your car and your car is silver and the only door you can afford is a blue one so you put the blue door on your car right that's what it's like that's what they're doing just with rockets instead and it is it's wallops island in virginia that is the u.s launch site that rocket lab is working on um they are Already uh, finding some things that they're going to tweak. So there were some issues with the uh, thermal protection around the engines for the reentry of the first stage. And they were damaged. And so they're saying that they're going to beef those up for the next flight. So they're learning. They're evolving. I think what's so interesting about this is when SpaceX did this, people were paying attention to them. But they did a lot of this kind of when not many people were paying attention to them. But now in this new era of reusable flight hardware, minus the SLS, but 
in the world that SpaceX has built of hey, we're going to refly this thing over and over and over, seeing someone else follow that path to say we are also going to make ours reusable over time, they're doing it with a lot more eyes on them because it's been proven it can be done. But to me, it's exciting that other companies want to reach this goal. And it just won't be SpaceX, but in the future, we will have hopefully Rocket Lab and Blue Origin and others having these vehicles that can be repurposed and reflown, making these flights cheaper uh, and hopefully uh, even more reliable because you're you're flying proven hardware and you really know what it can do. You know, right now SpaceX is kind of seeing how many launches they can get off on a Falcon 9. I think the one they just flew last week was its seventh flight. So they're even pushing the envelope of what they've done. Uh, but elect, uh, the Electron is going to be there with the Falcon 9, hopefully at some point, to be a reusable launch vehicle. And that's good for everybody. Yeah, this is, the, you know, one of the threads of this podcast since we started it has been the change in uh, access to space. And some of that is price and some of that is size, but it's like no longer very rapidly becoming uh, no longer the province of these enormous launches where people maybe share space on a very large rocket, but that, that you've got uh, cheaper access to large-ish rockets, and then you've got these small rockets as well that obviously are cheaper access because they're smaller. Yeah. yeah it's It's exciting stuff. Uh, so we should see, hopefully, that Frankenstein first stage built of <laughs> reused parts. Uh, hopefully, uh, by the end of 2021, of course, there's a lot of time between now and then, but that's their stated goal. And they'll do their second recovery attempt uh, early next year, early 21. Uh, eventually, and you don't forget, Rocket Lab has talked about catching these things via helicopter. So right now, they're parachuting into the ocean, but... Ocean water and rocket hardware doesn't really mix that well. It's really harsh, really harsh environment. And if you can snatch them out of the air with a helicopter or a group of helicopters, you can avoid all that unpleasantness. Uh, that's why SpaceX lands on a drone ship and not in the water, or they land on land and not in the water. So uh, this is their take on that. And boy, I cannot wait for the first demo of that. That's gonna be that's gonna be cool. Yeah, that's great. Helicopter catching a rocket from a helicopter. Yep. Can you imagine any mm. more sentence that's more like the future? That sounds terrifying to me. It does sound terrifying. I would not volunteer to be on that helicopter. Yeah, but I think I think the way it works is it's it's in a parachute. It's under a parachute and then and then the helicopter kind of swoops over and grabs the parachute, I think is how that works. They don't have to like tilt tilt on their side and try to catch it in the window, right? Like, they're not trying to do that. No, and right through. It's like the old spy satellites where they would eject film and planes would snatch them out of the air. That sort of thing. Right. Exactly. All right, Jason, what's going on here? Uh, strike up the Soviet national anthem. Uh, let's talk about uh, a space agency we don't talk about a lot, which is Roscosmos, the Russian space agency. Now, they have a wacky guy who's in charge who like is a twitter troll who is also in charge of the russian space agency huh. dmitry rogozin what a weird feeling <clears throat> um <laughs> that would never happen in the u.s no. we don't we don't let the twitter trolls be in charge of our space agency or the country <clears throat> <clears throat> well well i got news for you there so uh 
Dimitri Rogozin is an interesting guy. Uh, and there's a lot of questions. I enjoy Eric Berger's coverage on Ars Technica about space in general, but his coverage, his skeptical coverage about the Russian Space Agency, I enjoy especially. Like, they keep showing off things they're working on that they already showed off, like, years ago, as if it's new. There's a real question of what their funding is like. Um, and there, uh, just another, he wrote a piece uh, today, actually, about other weird things going on at Roscosmos, something to keep our eye on because they are a key partner in the International Space Station. And of course, uh, one of the ways to get to the ISS, although it sounds like essentially that, you know, they may be trading off, uh, trading seats on uh, on the Soviet Soyuz capsule with the commercial crew and sort of like building up the, the capacity there. But you know, they're, they're an important part of space exploration, and yet weird things going on at Roscosmos. Um, Dmitry Rogozin is firing lots of people, and in Russia, um, <laughs> firing is sometimes followed by arrests, which is never good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he fired the leader of the Center for Exploitation of Ground-Based Space Infrastructure, which I'm sure has a great acronym that's Cyrillic. Um, in Russian, but I don't know it. Anyway, they are the organization that exploits ground-based space infrastructure, of course, obviously, which to translate is they manage the spaceports for the Russian Space Agency. So that guy got fired. The chief engineer of the center that administers the Russian spaceports was fired and arrested on charges of corruption and uh, uh, embezzlement. They're both involved in this large-scale thing that we've talked about here a few times, which is trying to build a new Russian spaceport in extreme eastern Russia. The idea here is that currently they are using the Soviet spaceport, which is uh, the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is not Russia. Mm-mm. And although the Russians have, uh, you know, huge military ability and a sort of eternal lease to that land, and I think Kazakhstan, you know, I don't know. They, the point is, Kazakhstan's not Russia, and so what they want to do is build a new spaceport that is in Russia. Right. Um, and there's a lot of land in far, far, far eastern Russia, a lot. So it's not a problem to build a Vostochny the uh, Russian spaceport, except, of course, it's behind and expensive, and there's been a lot of allegations of embezzlement and other fraud that have gone into building this new spaceport. So uh, the firings may be related to that. However, uh, Eric Berger also points out that it's possible also that this is ultimately Rogozin losing control of his agency and that he may be the next one to go. Um, It's up to Putin, basically, but Roscosmos is hurting NASA's payments for Soyuz seats have dried up now that NASA has access to human spaceflight via commercial crew. United Launch Alliance was paying for a rocket engine, but that's going to dry up in the next couple of years, too. It's unclear if their next-generation rocket that they've been developing can compete with Falcon 9 for commercial launch opportunities. It's a real question, and this is not an agency that's gotten really well-funded at all. It is obviously a huge point of national pride in Russia. But Russia is, uh, although a military superpower, economically, it's quite troubled. 
And so there's a real question about like what the future of the Russian space agency is and what they might be doing. And I, I, I think when we talk about the future of the ISS, the future of Roscosmos comes up. Keep in mind also that Roscosmos is not participating at all in any of the discussions about the moon mm-hmm. with the U.S. and its international partners. The Russians have been real hand off, hands off about that. And Rogozin has complained about things on Twitter about Artemis and about Gateway and about the whole plan to that, which which I read as being that he knows he can't participate. And so he's going to muddy the waters, not that he's not participating because he has objections to it. Right. But we don't we don't really know. It's hard to get a window into this. This is such an authoritarian society. It's really unclear what the long term strategy is. It would not surprise me if we end up seeing um, more Russian cooperation with the Chinese space program. Um if there's some room to align there, but it's a real question because obviously the Russian space program, so many firsts over the years, um, but it's a, it's kind of in a weird holding pattern right now and seeing a bunch of people get fired and arrested um, and, and sort of the weird behavior that Rogozin has had for quite a while now, uh, an open question about what the future of the Russian space program might be. Yeah. And it, this comes with a backdrop of they have struggled to build a next generation rocket. So they use the Proton rocket from like the 60s yep. for uncrewed launches. And they have a replacement, the Angara 5, but it's only flown once and hasn't flown again. And and people outside of Russia don't seem to really know what's going on there. It seems to be funding or maybe there were technical issues and it's just been quiet on that front. So they also have that going on, too, in addition to all the spaceport stuff yeah. and money from the U.S. drying up. There's a lot of factors in this agency that are not fantastic. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with it. It's obviously super important. Russia has a huge role to play in uh, in spaceflight and human spaceflight. But it's it's uh, unclear quite what the long-term outlook for Roscosmos is going to be. So we'll keep an eye on it. All right, let's uh, take a break, and uh, then we'll be back. How's that sound? Sounds great. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move online with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, project, company, creative endeavor, with unique domain names, award-winning templates, and more. So think about what you may need for your website. Blog, contact information, a contact form, online store, portfolio, podcast hosting. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that you do all of that stuff. And you don't have to become some sort of bearded server admin to deal with it because there's nothing to install and no patches to worry about. Squarespace has all of that stuff covered. If you have any questions, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and their award-winning templates are beautifully designed and easy to use for you to show off your great ideas. One thing I love about Squarespace is you can add functionality very easily. So if you just have a basic website with some information and then you want to add a store or add a portfolio later, it's really easy to do that. You're not rebuilding your whole site for new functionality. You just basically turn it on and enter your content and you're good to go. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, 
Use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. It's time for the SLS segment. Space launch system segment explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news, and trivia. I, I was wondering how fast you were going to get towards the end. SLS segment. SLS segment. SLS segment. 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 Okay. Chapter one of the SLS segment. New RS-25 who dis? Oh, I like this chapter format. That's excellent. That's a new twist. Great, great, great. The SLS rocket at its base, will have a set of RS-25 engines, which were the main engines on the space shuttle, the three that were attached to the orbiter itself. There are 16 of those left over from the shuttle program, and they have been upgraded, tested, refurbished, because they're going to burn them hotter and longer on the SLS, basically. But it's not enough for all the Artemis SLS missions that NASA wants to pull off. And unfortunately, unlike some other rockets we've spoken about already today, the SLS is not reusable. So these RS-25s are going on a one-way trip, which is a little bit of a bummer because they're historic yeah. in nature. But um, And they're reusable. They're made to be reusable. They're awesome reusable engines yeah. attached to a not reusable It's Rocket. It's uh, painful. Uh, the so the the thing is, we got to have more of them, right? And you can't just uh, go out and like find them in a warehouse. You got to build them new. So Aerojet Rocketdyne has been working on production of six new RS twenty fives. That contract was awarded quite a while ago. It has been up to an eighteen total order, eighteen new RS twenty fives. They have until the end of twenty twenty nine to deliver them. There's a lot of a lot of uh, RS twenty fives, and they'll match the upgraded, refurbished version, if you will, of the shuttle main engines that are being uh, put together now. Um, to go along with this, there's a new RS twenty five test stand at Stennis Space Center. Probably the new RS, the first new RS twenty five test stand there in a long, long time um, to evaluate and test these new engines as they're built. And the first six are underway. Uh, the later 12 will come later, but uh, they are just going to crank these things out. And uh, there's four of them at the bottom of the SLS. So the um, the ones that are left, the first couple of SLS launches will be on all refurbished RS-25s. And then later they're going to pair two old ones and two new ones and sort of gradually work their way into the new stock of the RS-25 to give the contractor enough time to get them built. They don't want to have an SLS ready with no RS-25s to put on it. No, of course not. Why would you, why would you do that? Yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be bad. So yeah, so that's, that's chapter one. Chapter one is done. Chapter two. Chapter two. Two, 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 two. Wow. I'm trying some stuff out. I don't know. I it's like this. Great. In our document, I've created a new highlight color for the chapters of the SLS segment. I'm I'm envisioning this turning into basically its own show, which is Stephen uh, tells you the tale of the SLS, and there's various chapters that you read out of a, like a big leather-bound book. 
<laughs> I don't want to be responsible for that, for that book. Someone will write that book. Many people will write that it's, book. You know, they've been working on the book a long time, but it's not quite ready yet. It's way over budget, but, you know, they think that they're going to bind it soon. Wait, are we talking about the SLS or that um, Russian rocket? Okay, never mind. So, Orion, the capsule that sits atop the SLS. Artemis 1, the first flight, will be uncrewed. And supposed to be launching in about a year, November 2021. So the Orion the capsule has eight power and data units called PDUs. I tried reading to understand what these units do, and I'm not sure I understand it well enough to explain it. It does power and data stuff. <laughs> let's, just, okay. let's just say that. And they are built with redundancy. Not only are there eight of them, but there are redundant channels in each unit. And one of the eight has failed in its redundant channel. So all eight mm. still function. One of the eight basically doesn't have an internal redundancy. So you might think, well, you just um, you just pop the hood and replace it, right? It's like replacing the battery on your truck. Well, not so easy. So the PDU is inside the adapter section that mates Orion to its service module. So it's not something you can just like walk up to and it's immediately accessible. They could separate the two craft. So you separate them, you get in there, you replace the PDU, test it, make sure it's all good, put them back together. Uh, that would take a year to do, which is, uh, that's a long time. And butts into the potential current launch date of this first mission. They could also decide to do something that's unproven, there's not a procedure for it, which would be to remove some of the outer panels of the adapter, which are not designed to come off. So they got to work out a way to take them off and put them back on. But then they could reach the PDU from the outside without unstacking the two craft. Uh, this could take as little as four months, but there's no procedure for it. So there's a lot of risk involved with this. If you don't get those panels back on, correctly you can run into issues during flight which obviously nasa doesn't want no nope. you don't want panels coming off the side of your spacecraft they could also just go without it uh the capsule will still operate even without this redundancy in this one unit but i think the safe bet is that nasa will want this addressed because they don't want to have a failure on their their first flight of this this new giant stack that they've been building for a decade i saw somebody characterize this whole story as essentially being um they built this thing so long ago <laughs> that now it's breaking down <laughs> and it was never intended to be this long sort of sitting waiting and now things are failing on the inside and it's just like i don't think that that's that's entirely accurate but i do think that this is how we're all sort of primed with to think about the sls these days yeah i don't think that's a bad take <laughs> I don't think it is. And I mean, all this hardware tested fine when they built it. But to your point, it's been around for a while. So uh, we really don't know what they're going to do. And uh, I mean, props to uh, Lauren uh, at The Verge who uh, reported this. This wasn't shared by NASA in a lot of forthright uh, detail. They have a statement out. But uh, Lauren got this information from sources and it's really well put together. So our hats off to her again for this. But, uh, you know, it, I think it's been easy to just sort of forget about Orion thinking, oh, well, that design has been around a really long time. 
They've been working on it for a long time. It'll just be sitting there waiting for the SLS to get finished. And it may be a race to the finish for, for both of them. We'll just have to watch and see also how the uh, change in administrations affects what the plans are as well. There's going to be some definite interesting Artemis uh, developments coming in 2021. All right, Jason, that's uh, that's my last chapter. Oh, but, okay. Uh, close the book on the SLS yes, segment. close the, the leather book. Mm, mm-hmm. smells like... Did you get your bookmark in there? Don't want to lose your place. Yes, it's a big red ribbon. Okay, good. Excellent. It's great. Classy. Yes. Love it. Uh, so tell us about China's Lunar Sample Return Mission, which is going on as we speak. As we speak, it's happening. So uh, we'll back up. We've talked about some other Chinese lunar missions. They're doing a lot of Chinese uh, lunar missions recently. This is the latest one. It is Chang'e 5. It is uh, the newest mission. It lifted off on November 23rd for the moon. It is China's most complicated moon mission ever. It's a very heavy uh, package that they had to launch 18,000 pounds, more than eight metric tons. Uh, They needed to use China's heavy lift rocket, the Long March 5. This is especially notable because it is a sample return mission. The goal of Chang'e 5 is to bring back the first material from the moon to Earth since the Apollo missions ended in the 70s. So that would be pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot. We get some new moon rocks, some new moon dust. It's all good. Um, So Chang'e 5 went into orbit. Uh, a couple days ago, separated its lander from its service module. It's a very Apollo-esque approach that they've taken to this, where they they basically have a multi-stage vehicle. Um, no crew, obviously, but they've got a multi-stage vehicle with an orbiter and a lander. And uh, just before we started recording this episode, this morning, December 1st, Chang'e 5 landed on the moon. Which is great. Now, yeah. uh, some ways the Chinese uh, space agency is different. We talked about the Russian space agency earlier. The ways the Chinese space agency and China is different than NASA and the United States. They had a live video stream going for a while, which was great. And then as they got ready to land, they stopped it. So, and everybody, all the journalists, all the Western journalists are like, what is happening? Yeah. Uh, and then a little bit later, uh, they came back and said, hey, it landed. Yay. Because um, I, I think this shows you how remarkable NASA is that it's transparent about all of its launches and all of its missions and they're live streaming it all. And if it fails, it just fails live. When you get the sense that China is not, at least at this point, willing to let the world see a potential failure, they sort of like are going to not have that moment be on live TV. Um but it did land, and there are some stills, and I'm sure there's by the time this podcast even comes out, there'll probably be better video of that landing. Um, so what happens next? In the next two days, uh, this whole mission has to take place during one lunar day, which is obviously much longer than a, an Earth day, but uh, it, it can't survive in shadow. So it has to do it relatively fast. In the next 48 hours, Chang'e 5 is going to do some prospecting where it is. It's going to pick up some some stuff to transfer, and then it transfers it to their ascent module, their ascent stage. And there's a special compartment for the the material in the ascent stage. Then the ascent stage launches back off the surface, goes back up into orbit, and rendezvous with the service module that's still in orbit. Then there's a transfer of that uh, that container with the material in it from the ascent stage to the service module. 
And then that portion of Chang'e 5 returns back to Earth and they bounce the uh, the package containing the moon material off of Earth's atmosphere. There's actually so much uh, velocity coming back from the moon that they bounce off the atmosphere once they reduce speed and then land. The plant is in uh, Inner Mongolia, where if all goes well, there will be some new fresh lunar samples waiting. So a lot more to be done by Chang'e 5, but a uh, very exciting mission and the, a mission really, you know, the likes of which we have not seen in ages because it's literally the first lunar sample since the 70s. Really exciting stuff. It's uh, it's fun to see uh, China putting a lot of effort into their, into their moon uh, program. And this is their most complex mission yet. You could see them, you know, very aggressively kind of ratcheting. Every single mission has more uh, aggressive goals about it. And this is the biggest one yet. Well, I think that does it. Yeah, I think so. I think that covers what's going on. So, yeah, a little uh, sad, but also uh, some good news at the end. And in the the middle, you told us the tale of the SLS, the continuing tale (laughs) of the SLS. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. So... Uh, but I think that's enough for now. There will undoubtedly be more for us to talk about in a fortnight. Until then, you can find links to our show notes at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 138. While you're there, you can send us an email with feedback or follow-up. You can also become a member and support the show directly. Uh, Thank you all uh, who have joined to support Liftoff. It means a lot to us. Yes. You can find Jason online over on Twitter at jsnell. You can find me there as ismh. Until our next Fortnite, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. <laughs>